Revelation chapter 2. Looking at verses 4 through 6, we are still talking about Ephesus. Second week, we'll be on Ephesus three weeks. Pretty much we'll be at every church for three weeks. We'll look at uh, the, the good grade that the church got and the two, or three, four verses that go with that. We'll look at the bad grade that the church got, if there is one. Uh, two or three, four, four verses that go with that. And then there's a challenge, an, an admonition, a, um, a reward. In this case, it'll be verse 7, and we'll look at it next week, for returning, for repenting, for the church that, that comes back. And we'll look at that separately. That'll be the third week of our, our study of each church. This week, we're looking at Ephesus's, the bad grade that Ephesus got. Surprisingly enough, they, they got that bad grade in love. F minus. You know, uh, if you're familiar with the Peanuts comic strip, uh, that's what uh, Peppermint Patty always got. That was her grade. You know, and no matter how bad, you know, no matter how good she tried, she always got an F minus. And if I remember one of the comic strips correctly, and I do, uh, they raised it to like an F plus. Uh, because, you know, the teacher had a little compassion. There was actually one comic strip where she got a Z minus, but I don't think Ephesus did that bad. They didn't do Z minus. But they definitely got an F minus on love. And, you know, the Bible is just chock full of verses on love, and uh, we know a lot of them by heart. First uh, Corinthians 13, 13, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Ephesians 4, 15, which we talked about last week, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. We can never preach about love too much. We can never preach about the love of Christ too much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We can never preach about how the church is supposed to love too much. The church is supposed to love. The church is supposed to love everybody. That is our calling. That's our command. As a matter of fact, go back to John. People will know we are Jesus' disciples because of our love, not because of anything else, not because, you know, and we talked about this last week or a week before, I can't remember now, not because we eat at Chick-fil-A on a particular day. They're not going to know we're Jesus' disciples because of that. I'm not saying don't. We did it, and we were proud of it. But people will not know we're Jesus' disciples because we stand up. They're not going to know we're his disciples because of the way we vote. They're not going to know that we are his disciples because we come to church on Sunday, put money in the plate, or do anything else. The Bible is very clear that they will know we are his disciples by our love. That's our love for each other, and that's our love for everyone. So the Bible is chock full of verses on love. The Ephesians knew it. The, the folks uh, at the church in Ephesus knew God's commands on love. This was not surprising. Uh, this verse, 415, was written to the church at Ephesus long before John wrote his letter to Ephesus. The church at Ephesus knew we are supposed to love. We speak the truth. We do that, you know, that goes back to what we talked about last week and not a tolerating evil in the church. We speak truth, but we do it in love. And yet, and yet, Ephesus got an F minus in love. Let's read Revelation 2, 4 through 6. But I have this against you, 
Again, Jesus talking. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That love you had at first, verse 4. Jesus tells them, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Can you imagine when they were sitting there hearing this read? Ephesus was the, the first church that got the letter. Remember we talked about Revelation, uh, what probably went to Ephesus in its, compl- uh, in, in, in its completion, the whole thing. And the whole thing got read to them, so Ephesus got to hear about all the other churches. And then the second church heard about Ephesus and themselves and then the other five churches and so on and so forth. So you have to know that the people sitting in the pews or, or wherever they sat that Sunday, however they sat, hear those first verses where, where Jesus says, the one who holds the seven lampstands, verse 2, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You also have possessed endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. And you have to know they were sitting there thinking, oh man, all right, we're doing good. But, oh man. But what? He says, but I have this against you. Some of your translations say you have left your first love. You have forgotten your first love. This, uh, the one on the screen said you have abandoned the love you had at first. What does Jesus mean by that? This verse has been uh, uh, taught on preached on, studied for years and years and years. And there are three, three ways that it's been preached. It used to be preached uh, a long time ago that it was love for, uh, I'm sorry, rather, nowadays it's preached that it's love for one another. That the church had lost their love for the other church members. That they had lost the love they had for each other. They no longer fellowshiped like they did. They no longer uh, had the, the, the affection, they no longer, uh, there was, you know, strife or backbiting or something. There was just, there were problems in the church. Probably not. Uh, the, the context and the things that Jesus says after this uh, don't really go with that interpretation. The, the longest running interpretation is that they're talking about the, their love for Jesus. You have lost your first love. You have lost the first thing that got you to church to begin with. The first thing that, that got you to come out and endure and persevere. All those things that he talked about in verses 2 and 3. And yes, that's, that's very true. And that is probably what John's talking about. But there's more to it than just you've lost that relationship. You've lost that, um, that love, that desire that devotion to Jesus. He's talking about something very specific here. And we're going to go through this because it's not immediately obvious when you read it that this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. They have lost their love for Jesus that results in witnessing. It's more than just their personal, I like Jesus a lot. Because if you ask any one of those... Uh, church members in Ephesus, I imagine they would all say, well, I love Jesus. 
Sure I do. I love Jesus a lot. I mean, look what I put up with. Persecution. Because, you know, back then, just going to church. They didn't have to talk about it. They didn't have to live it outside. Just going to the church, being known as a Christian, would get you persecuted. So they didn't have to do a whole lot to suffer persecution. Just at some point, sometime, identify as a Christian, and, and, and you've got all the persecution you could uh, possibly want. So they would say, yes, I love Jesus. Look at the persecution. And Jesus says, you've lost your first love. You've abandoned the love that you had at first. You don't love me like you did. That's what he's saying. They no longer express their love for Jesus by witnessing to him in the world. Now, Michael, where are you getting that? Where is that coming from? Well... Let's look and see. First, remember in verse 1, Jesus said that he walks among the lampstands. Each church had its own lampstand. Well, uh, what's the purpose of a lampstand? To shine light. It's the whole goal. We had that problem this morning. We weren't shining light. Our lampstands were not working. Thankfully, it wasn't our spiritual lampstand. It wasn't that Jesus wasn't here. It was just that we weren't getting electricity. Uh, but... The goal of any lamp is to let you see. Well, the goal of the church's lampstand is to shine on Jesus. See, that's what we need to understand, the point of the lampstand. The lampstand isn't a trophy. The lampstand isn't something we put in the foyer for everybody to see when they come in. The lampstand shines on Jesus. The light of the churches, in verse 1, when Jesus is among the lampstands, what are those lampstands doing? They are shining on Jesus. They're showing everyone around, figuratively of course, showing everyone around who is in that church. Not the church members, but Jesus. That's the point of the lampstand. Originally, Ephesus shone for Jesus. Read Ephesians. You know, there's all, there are all kinds of good things that they were doing if you read the, the letter in Ephesians. They had their issues, don't we all? But they were originally shining for Jesus like they were supposed to. But no longer. They had left their first love. Jesus talked about this earlier. If you'd like to turn there, uh, you don't have to. It'll be on the screen. Matthew 24, 11 through 14. Jesus says some of the same stuff Years earlier, when he walked the earth with the disciples, he said, Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That word, uh, testimony, proclaimed there at the end. Those are the words, witness, that word testimony, that's witness. It will be a testimony, it will be a witness. Look at Revelation, uh, look at chapter, I'm sorry, verse 2 again. What does verse 2 say? I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. Some of your translations may say false apostles. Here, Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus said, false prophets will arise. John point out, points out, it's happening right now. False prophets are arising in your church. Then uh, Jesus goes on to say that the love of many will grow cold. 
verse 4 in chapter 2 of Revelation. But I have get this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Your love has grown cold. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew that an enduring remnant will witness. Revelation 2, 3. You, you have found them, I'm sorry, you also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name. They're still a witness. They're still a remnant of a witness. They are still enduring. But there isn't what used to be. There isn't what once was. The church at Ephesus has left their first love. They are becoming part of the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus said way back in Matthew. False prophets will arise. The love of many will grow cold. There will be a remnant, but. And now we get to the but. He writes them and says, You have lost your first love. You no longer witness to me as you should have. But he goes on. First part of verse 5. It says, Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent. Repent means turn around. Go back the other direction. Repent. Remember how far you have fallen and repent. Return, he says, to your former works. We know from verse 2, the church was working. We know the church was doing things. They were, they were enduring a lot of things because of their work. We don't know what that was, but they were there. They were doing things. Yet, Jesus says, repent and return to the works you formerly did. You formerly did. Revelation was, uh, Ephesus was working, but they weren't witnessing. That's the only way we can explain why Jesus in one verse would say, I know you're works. I know what you're doing. And it's good. But what I want you to do, the problem I have is that you don't love. Now, return to your works, your original works. What was their original work? Their original work was to witness for Christ. Be about those things that make an eternal difference in someone's life. Notice Jesus never said, those things you're doing were bad. He never said, stop doing those things. He never said that, and this is the big thing nowadays, and, 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 it, and it's important because I think in the, you know, in the church for years had this idea that if we just have enough programs, if we just do enough stuff, people will come. And we found that, yeah, they did. In the 50s, 60s, 70s, yeah. If, you, if the church had enough stuff, if the church was the entertainment center of the town, people came. But as soon as there was an entertainment that was greater than the church, the people left. And that's what we see today. We see that the number one, the, uh, the church planter that came and talked to us, Tim Bo Fowler, was asked in the meeting with the missions committee, uh, what was his number one, in going to Phoenix, what was the number one uh, hurdle, uh, for lack of a better term, that uh, 
that he would face in Phoenix, in, that he would face in, in growing a church and in, in getting people to come? His answer? Entertainment. There's always something more exciting than church for people. There's always a lake to boat on or a ball game to go see or animals to shoot or fish to catch or there's always something that's more important if we let it be. That's the number one thing. And what he is telling, and, and so our programs, our, 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 our entertainment at church, we can't come up to killing a ten point. You know, shooting a buck is... I can't be that exciting here. Now, there would be some churches that they try. And, you know, maybe as a sermon illustration, the pastor shoots a deer on the stage, and yay, y'all get to see it. I don't know, they do all kinds of stunts. Uh, there was a church in Baton Rouge that, uh, not Baton Rouge, sorry, in Houston, that uh, he had motocross, motorcycles. He, the, the stage was big enough that he had a pile of dirt over there and a pile of dirt over there, and... At some point during the service, motorbikes jumped back and forth. I can't do that. I'm sorry. You know, uh, we don't have the room. Um, it's just not happening. You know, and it's always that kind of thing. Entertain them. There is one pastor that I have never been to his church, but it is sworn to me that as you walk in the doors of this very large church up in North Texas, there's a sign that says something about, you know, as you come in, whatever, whatever, worshipainment. He combined worship and entertainment. Worshipainment. That is not what we're about. That is not what we're supposed to be about. I know I'm not the most exciting guy up here, but, you know, can we, can we do it for an hour out of our seven days? My point, we are never going to entertain the world enough to get them to come in. And that's what Jesus is telling them. I know your works. I know the good things that you've done. I know your, your children's programs and your youth programs and, and your VBS. And I know that. And those are great things. And they're doing a lot of good. But don't substitute those things for actual, personal, I know Jesus and I'm going to talk to somebody who doesn't, witnessing. Those can never take that place. The church at Ephesus had left their first love. They were no longer focused on spreading the gospel one-on-one -on -one because of the love they had for other people. But you know what? The great thing about Jesus, among, among many others, is that when he says, you're doing this wrong, he never backs off and leaves it at that. It's never, now figure out how to fix it. Jesus is always there to help. Jesus is there to help the church at Ephesus return. Remember, Jesus in verse 2 and verse 1 holds the stars in his hand, the messengers to the churches, the angels. Jesus has control over the message. Jesus has control over getting to the people in that church and helping them understand what they need to do, where they've been, where they're going, etc., etc. Not only that, Jesus is among the churches 
He's among the lampstands. He is there to repair. He is there to add fuel when it looks like the flame's going out. He's there to, to polish it when our lampstand gets a little rusty because of, of, of the things we allow in the church. Jesus is there. He will help that church that needs to return to its first love. But then in the second half of uh, verse 5 comes the warning. He says, Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remember, a lampstand sheds light. And I'm going to give you a bunch of verses. Write them down if you want to go home and look at them later. Isaiah 42, 6 through 7. I, the Lord, have called you for a righteous purpose. Now he's talking to the Jews here, not even talking to the church. I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will keep you. I will make you a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. God will use the Jews to do that, and they didn't do it. Isaiah 49, 6, he says, It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. It's not enough for you to be about your busy work. It's not enough for you to be about tending to the tribes and making sure that, that Manasseh and all these other tribes and Dan and Ephraim, that they are doing good. It's not enough to cover your own day-to-day -day activities. It's not enough to even plan great things as my people. I am going to make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the end of the earth. You are going to be a lampstand that shines light on Jesus Christ. But we know Israel did not live up to, their stand, to, to, to that calling. And later on, they went to the Jews, and the apostles went to the Jews, and Jesus came to the Jews, and they killed him. His own people didn't hear him. So then it passed, the torch passes. Mark 4.21, he said also to them, Is a lamp brought, up, brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? Luke 8, 16, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. If you have a light, you're going to show it. If we have a lampstand, we should be showing that light. And then he, ex he explains it even fuller in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, part of the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. Who? You, me, we, the church, the people of Jesus Christ. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Folks, there is no doubt why the church at Ephesus, there is no doubt why the church at Nixon has a lampstand. It is purely to shine the light on Jesus Christ. If we put the lampstand in our uh, steeple and think, wow, aren't we pretty? We are going to fail at the mission of God. 
We will fail as a church, and the lampstand will be taken away. The flame is the Holy Spirit. If you want to break them up, and then we can, throughout the Bible, the flame represents the Holy Spirit. That is the light that burns within us. We have the flame of the Holy Spirit in us. Go back and read the day, for the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And see that the, when the Holy Spirit fell, there were like flames of fire above the people. The flame of the Holy Spirit has to burn in the church, and the lampstand is the church itself. So we are the church, the lampstand that is to burn with the flame of the Holy Spirit and shine it on Jesus so that everyone around us sees. They see our good works, possibly in Matthew uh, 5. But more than that, they need to hear our witness. Nowhere does it say faith comes by seeing good works and seeing good works by the Christian who does them. No, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Later on, uh, elsewhere in the Bible, it says, how are they going to hear if no one goes to preach? If no one goes to tell them? doesn't say, how are they going to know if nobody goes and acts like a good person in front of them? The message comes down to verbalization. It comes down to words. Preach the gospel at all times when in necessary, use words. The phrase doesn't exist. The guy never said it. It's junk. You see it on Facebook, ignore it. Don't like it. Preach the gospel at all times. Go and tell my people. Your good works are important. But they will never take the place of the word. Removal. Removal of the lampstand means that both the power and the message are gone. When the lampstand is taken, we lose the flame, which is the power in the Spirit, and we lose the lampstand, the, the, the fact that we are the church of Jesus Christ. There are many churches whose buildings remain. There are many churches whose, who, who have people in them. The people still go there every Sunday, maybe on Wednesday. They may even have a lot of, of, uh, of programs. I'm not even talking about small churches. But the lampstand is gone. The spirit, the message, the power of the, sal of, of the gospel of salvation is no longer found in that church because they left their first love and they never repented and came back and were a church that loved the lost world enough to go tell them about the Jesus that they served. If we do enough things, they'll come. The door's unlocked, why aren't they here? Why aren't we out there telling them? But again, Jesus sometimes, anyway, makes sure not to leave it on a downer. There is a glimmer of hope in verse 6. Yet you do have this, he says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now who in the world are the Nicolaitans? They come up in the, again later on in Ephesians. We'll see them with another church. But best we can tell, they're a group that said that some participation in the culture was okay. 
It's okay to be a part a little bit of what's going on. Specifically, these guys said it was okay to eat sacrificed meat to idols, and uh, they encouraged promiscuity, fornication, whatever word you want to use, big church word you want to use, sex outside of marriage. That's all right. You know, those two things, it's okay. Be a little bit a part of the culture, and it won't make a big difference. Now, the Ephesians hate their practices, and Jesus says that. Uh, you do have this, you hate the practices of these people. See, there's something in the Ephesian church there's still this glimmer. They understood something of the, of the witness that they should have, which is difference from the culture itself. Church at Nixon, we have to understand that participation in the sinful culture destroys our witness. Don't believe me? 1 John 2, 15-17 Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Because everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle, that pretty well covers most things, most sins, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lusts is, lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Church, if the world can tell no difference between us and them, what proof do we have that our faith is valid? See, this is, this is a huge argument. Let's set that for aside for a minute. I believe... That this book is inerrant, okay? That every word that it says is true. I don't begin with science and try to figure out how the Bible works into that. I begin with the Bible, and if science does not agree with the Bible, then I believe that science is wrong, not the Bible. If we haven't found the history to prove what the Bible says, then that's because we don't have the techniques and we don't have the information to go into archaeology or whatever it may be to find what we need to prove. But I believe the Bible over archaeologists. I believe the Bible over historians. At every point, at every letter, I believe that this is the inerrant Word of God. Now, if you don't believe that, it, it creates an issue. Because at what point when you say, I believe everything except this. Well, why don't you believe that? Well, because I don't think they knew or they had or they understood. Okay. That quickly grows into why in the world is Jesus the only way to heaven? Now, I realize I just took a huge step and it usually doesn't end up that way. It's a bunch of little steps. But if we say that part of this isn't true, any part, what proof do we have, what, what leg do we have to stand on when we tell somebody Jesus is the only way? And there are a number of, of, of pastors, of theologians that would say that very thing. They do not believe that this is inerrant, and yet they will say Jesus is the only way. How do you know? The Bible says so. But the Bible also says things that aren't true. So how do you know that is true? You see the problem with the argument. 
Folks, we have the same problem with our argument that says we can be a part of the culture and still be a Christian. If I'm going to do one or two things, just, just a couple of things, that the world says is okay but the Bible says isn't, then why would anybody look at me and say, wow, there is a difference in you? They're going to look at you and say there is no difference. You're as much in the culture as anybody else. Okay, so it's only one or two things. And you're going to have somebody that does not know Christ come to you and say, well, even I don't do those things. And then where are you? We cannot say that, that part of it is okay. Part of it is true. Part of it is acceptable. Part of it is something we're supposed to follow. But these other things, eh, Jesus will wink at those and it'll be okay. That's what the Nicolaitans were saying. I am not saying you have to be perfect. Okay, don't hear that. We sin, we fall. But, I'm sorry, I won't pick on the ladies here, just because it's a current topic. I've already beat up on Magic Mike the movie, and it wasn't out that many weeks. Apparently it wasn't that great. But if you're posting about going to see that on Facebook, stop. If you are reading Fifty Shades of Grey, well, I'm just going to tell you to stop reading it. And especially don't put on Facebook that, oh, it's so wonderful, Fifty Shades of Grey. You're reading about some woman having uh, kinky, adulterous sex. Good job. You're proud of that? See, we are not to conform to the world. We're not to be like them and say it's okay. We got our own problems. I've got my own problem trying to keep my life pure without just saying, oh, it's okay, I'm just going to jump in now. And then I've got to explain to people, because you're going to have the people that come to you and say, how is Jesus real to you when you're a sinner? And you're going to say, you know, I, I know I sin. I do. We all do. I, and I hate it. And I wish I couldn't. But I'm forgiven. By grace, I know I'm saved, because that's what Jesus said he would do. But when you are wrapped up in your one or two little things that you're determined to be a part of the culture in, or with, or about, and somebody says, how can you worship the Jesus you say you worship and be wrapped up in that? Well, this is just the one thing I keep for myself. Because you're going to be telling those people you've got to be sold out for Jesus. I, I am, except for these couple of things. And I, I like these things, so I'm going to keep them. That's what the Nicolaitans were saying. And that's what Jesus was saying to the church at Ephesus. They hated. Church, do they look at you? And has your witness gotten to the point where you look like a Nicolaitan? Where people see you and there's no difference between you and what they're doing. At least to their eyes. You're going to say, no, it's not. I'm different because i got Jesus in my heart. And they're going to say, but you sure don't look like it. And they're right. Is that the witness you're going to have? The question for our church is, have we lost our first love? Have we lost the love for Jesus that leads us to witness for him? Have we lost our first love? Have we lost our witness? 
Is our church making a spiritual impact on the people of Nixon and the world? And yes, we are. You know, I'm not up here saying we're doing nothing right. As a matter of fact, I'm not up here saying we're doing what we're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm really leaving that for you because I'm pretty sure I don't have to. I know the Holy Spirit well enough to know that He is the one stepping in on your toes right now. It ain't me. Are we the church that's making a spiritual impact on the people of Nixon and the world? Are we in danger, church, of losing our lampstand? How far away are we from losing our lampstand? Is it even a threat right now? Is it even a concern? It's always a concern. We're always one generation from losing our lampstand, from being a church that exists, but we're just a shell, where people come and sing songs that mean nothing and read a Bible that we ignore and hear sermons that we smack our lips and toss our nose up in the air about. We're always one generation from that. It's a hard question to answer. It's a hard question as an individual to answer. Because yes, I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I know right now I've got my pets. Now, I'm, I, I, let's be honest, I lose my job if y'all find out about them. So I keep them secret. Doesn't make me any better. I've still got my pets I've got to get rid of too. Some of you have your pets. You keep them secret. You don't tell anybody about them. Some of you have your pets, and you flaunt them. Woo, look at me. I don't care. You might as well say that. Because let's be honest, with my pets in my closet, I'm saying I don't care too. So church, what are we doing? Are we going to repent? Because I... I could preach this sermon every Sunday, and every Sunday we need to repent, okay? This isn't a one-time thing and suddenly, whew, got it. This is an everyday thing. Are we going to be the church that repents? Are we going to look at the great Ephesus got, their F-minus, and say, I don't want to be an F-minus in love. I want our church to be the A-plus in love. I want Jesus to write a letter to us and say, First Baptist Church of Nixon, I know your works, and I know your love, and I am proud of what you're doing. That's what I want to hear. Do you want to hear that too? For some of us, maybe somebody here this morning, the question is, have you found your first love? See, you may have thought you found love, and it's some boy or some girl or some man, some woman, some bottle, some book, and some TV show, but you have not found the true love of your life. Jesus Christ is the true love of your life. I have found my soulmate. I have found my true love. But she's nothing compared to the love of Jesus Christ. She provides a lot of benefits. 
Jesus saved my soul. And she can't do that. And none of the things you love can do that either. So, have you found your first love? Has Jesus made a difference? Has Jesus come in and lived in you? Made, taken up residence in your heart? Simple. Your very first love begins with you praying and asking Jesus into your heart. Admit you're a sinner. Admit that you've got the pets in the closet and the pets on Facebook and all kinds of other stuff that you probably haven't even figured out yet. But you're a sinner who has broken God's law. There is no reason for Jesus to give one whit about you. But he does. He loves you. And he wants you to respond to him. But you've got to take that step. You admit, I'm a sinner. And I repent of that. I turn away from the sin toward Christ. I leave those things behind. And you're going to look like some multiple personality, whatever, schizophrenic. You're going, Jesus. Oh, I like these. No, I'm coming back, Jesus. No, no, oh man. Those, no, you, you, that's life, okay? That's the Christian life. But every step, you get a little closer to him and a little further away from that. Admit and repent. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus made some incredible claims. Son of God. Not just the Son of God. He is God. He made the claim that you trust in him, you're forgiven. He could forgive sins. Pharisee said, only God for, can forgive sins. And Jesus said, bingo. <gasps> That's the claim of Christ. That he is the one who can save you. And then confess. Confess through your word. Romans 10, 9 and 10 say. With your mouth you confess. With your heart you believe. Salvation. But you don't confess just in word. Your life is a confession. It's even though that, that saying by St. Francis is fake, the passage in Matthew is not. They will see our good works. They will see our confession through our lives. They'll see our confession in the baptismal waters. And they will know there's something to this Jesus stuff. You can do that this morning. If you're living a life where people look at you and they go, you know, I don't see much to that church thing. I know so-and-so goes to church. Sometimes he'll even talk about it if you bring it up. But man, you just step back and look at his life. I don't see any difference between him and me. Why do I need to go to that church? That is a tragedy. And that is what Jesus is calling us to turn away from. Church at Ephesus, you weren't like that. There's still a glimmer, a glimmer of that first love. Return to that first love. First Baptist Nixon, are you like that? Do you hate the work of the Nicolaitans? Do you hate the idea of being one thing out there and something else in here? If you don't, repent and return to your first love. Recommit and return. Let's pray.
Father, I do pray that we as a church would be completely devoted to you, God. We would not have one foot in the church, one foot in the culture. That we would not have our pet sins either in the closet or on Facebook. That we love and we will not give up for you. God, I want us to be a church that says yes before you ask. That says yes, I will give up everything I need to. Everything I have for you. Including the sins I love. Including the stuff I love. God, use me. God, return me to my first love. The love that I have for you that leads me to tell others about the love that you have for me. God, I fail in this. God, we're so worried about what people think and what people say. And we should only be worried about the letter you are going to write to us. And will that letter say, I know your works and I know your love that you witness? Or will that letter say, I have this against you? God, we pray for anyone here this morning who doesn't know you as Savior. That today would be their day of salvation. That they would come to, to their first love for the first time. That today would be their day of salvation. Lord, move in the hearts in this place. Do a mighty work among us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's he telling you? What's Jesus inviting you to do? Which toes are being stepped on this morning, huh? Do you need to accept Christ this morning? Do you need to be baptized? You've accepted Christ? Do you need to lead a life of holiness? Do you need to get one foot out of culture and put them both firmly on the Word of God and say, I am committed to Him and leave whatever I need to behind? Do you need to be used according to His purposes? Do you need to be involved in ministry in this church, in missions somewhere else? Is God calling you to do something and you're going, oh, ain't happening, God, and He's saying, Follow me. What's God calling you to do? Maybe you need to join the church this morning. Be a part of this fellowship. Commit to being a part of the ministry that's ongoing here at First Baptist. Whatever it is, share it on your connection card if you would like. Come down, talk to me if you would like. Come down, pray with one of our deacons. Grab somebody you know. Whatever you need to do. Make your decision for Christ this morning. Let's stand and sing. I think that's it. Uh, Y'all, we have got to be, we've got to be a church that gets our feet out of the culture. We've got to be a church that returns to our first love and says, Jesus, the most important thing I can do is witness for you. That's what we need to be. And that's what I hope you got today.